Chapter 26. It's a big deal. Accompanied by all the bunnies and rabbits, Katie and Blue walked through the forest. The rabbits were intrigued to meet the legends of their parents' stories. Katie cradled two baby bunnies in her arms. Laying back, they gazed up at her. She couldn't help but cuddle them more. All the bunnies and rabbits were so fascinated by Blue, the beast. Repeatedly, they asked to see her claws, but she politely declined. She didn't want to tempt their fate. Just after midday, they reached the edge of the forest and the beginning of a path, which led directly to the palace's gates. After a fond farewell to James and Sandra, they pressed on. Katie had left her timer with Wraith. She had no idea how much time she had left. Because Blue was refreshed from her sleep, she carried Katie at a fast pace to the top of the mountain. At the summit, they saw levelled land stretched far and wide and the palace standing mighty and tall in the middle. The large palace looked majestic. It had wrapping around it, white stone washed walls and several turrets sprouting up. A central singular spiralling tower drew Katie's eyes. The tower had long colourful flags draping down and near the top. A large sundial was fixed to its face. A deep moat protected and fortified the palace. The moat teemed with leaping salmon which fed the prowling, stalking polar bears. Worryingly, their entrance to the palace was blocked. A huge army of debt recovery bureaucrats had assembled in four-lined formations outside the palace, ready to storm it. The first line was the infantry. They consisted of men and women on foot with briefcases as shields and umbrellas as spears. The second line was the cavalry. They rode on horses and wore bowler hats, pinstriped suits and carried huge pencils as lances. Behind the cavalry was the artillery cannons with plenty of paperwork for shells. The last line, mounted on horses, were all six bureaucrats from Polo Pink, plus a casually dressed man with the jumper over his shoulders. They were the commanders. Unnoticed, Katie rode Blue close behind them. The smallest bureaucrat said, More artillery! We shall weigh them down with paperwork and surprise them with special force auditors from the infantry. For the grand finale, we shall swarm the palace and cease it from trading. You really know how to spoil a good party, don't you? said Katie from behind the mounted bureaucrats. All but one bureaucrat jumped. They steadied their startled horses and aggressively turned to face them. Katie was not intimidated. She'd been through too much to care. A palace spy! Detain her! commanded the tallest. Katie didn't react and calmly said, They won't because I have their commanding officers within reach of my beast's mighty claws. As it stands, it's checkmate. Mate. Katie surprised herself with her fast strategic thought. The man who didn't jump was different from the others. He wore casual clothes and smiled sincerely towards her. He said, Well played. You're a spy who has single-handedly captured the main pieces on the board. You've been cunning and brave, all qualities of an entrepreneur. A flaw in your plan, maybe. What you perceive as the main pieces may not be... A successful organisation ensures that no one person or group is indispensable. Cut through us and the remaining subordinates are well-drilled and disciplined. They will function without top-tier leadership and counter-back. Now, madam, I believe it's check only. Katie raised her eyebrow. The man was smart, cordial and assertive. So, we both have strong positions. Let's bargain, she said with a glint in her eye. A deal? Yes, I think I could hear one, said the man, who had neatly combed blonde hair and a goatee beard to match. The tallest straightened his back and coughed loudly and said, 
Chairman, really. We shouldn't negotiate with any work-shy abstainers. She's from Earth. She might have a fresh perspective, and that excites me. We shall talk one-to-one. If a deal is reached, I shall seek the board's final approval. The board reluctantly agreed. The chairman, Katie and Blue, walked a few metres away to broker a deal. The chairman was amiable. He wanted a solution that didn't end in conflict. He said that the palace owed too much time to continue trading. He had tried to protect the palace because in his younger days he was a regular guest there. For seasons the land of work had been supplying it with trade to keep it running and now the people were sick of paying for its selfish, self-indulgent party antics. It must now contribute back to the land or it would have to cease operations. He said the board of bureaucrats weren't bad people. Their job was to balance the books for all of the land. It was no easy task. The palace was in debt and the board needed to hear a credible payment plan provided solely by the king as he was the account holder. Katie explained she would need more time to help the king produce such a plan. The chairman said any further time granted would be short as the debt was long overdue. They agreed and the board did so reluctantly. Extra time was granted to sunset on the central tower's sundial. The polar bears were commanded to stand down and Katie freely entered the palace. The ballroom erupted in applause and screams of adulation when they saw Katie, their heroic saviour. Even the palace queen was pleased to see her. Katie didn't share their delight. She had a job to do. She beckoned the king and queen to privately consult with her in a royal private dining room. Sobering coffee was ordered, which took a while to find because coffee wasn't a usual request. Katie sat upright, tucked her hair behind her ears and assertively said... You must make a deal with the bureaucrats. Their army is too large and too well organised to be defeated. To the annoyance of the Queen, the King was in awe of Katie and said, No problem. Let me see the magic ball of potential. Katie paused and the Queen said nervously, You do have it, my dear. Wraith has my timer and the pint of frozen water, which is basically the ball of potential. I don't care about the timer. You had one job. One job and you return here empty-handed, ranted the Queen. Katie boiled with rage and all at once she let it out. How dare you! You spoilt brats! I've been all over Festavia in search of a ball that would help us both and what have you done? Nothing but sit on your royal bums. If you even saw what I'd been through, you'd be having nightmares for a season. I'm in two minds to just get up and leave. You're both pathetic. You obviously only think for yourselves, and that's why you're in this mess. You can't live a life of indulgence and get away with it. There's always a consequence. For you now, the consequence happens to be an army of bureaucrats outside your walls, ready to smash them down. The king and queen froze on their seats. They had never been spoken to that way before. Katie continued pragmatically. There's no point being shocked by me. You're going to have a lot more shock any moment now, unless we come up with a plan. The king, who was shivering under Katie's wrath, had no answer, and the queen sheepishly asked, What do you suggest? Why should I fix your problems? And also, we must save Wraith and the others. When I saw them last, they were locked in a battle against an evil mannequin army, which was created in the depths of this palace. The queen answered, We don't have an army to retrieve Wraith. And why not? It's a palace. Because we spent our time and trade on social policies. You mean living it up? The ceiling started to shake and dust filled the private dining room. 
Captain Cash burst in. His white suit was covered in grey dust. He coughed and splattered and said, "'Envelopes and letters are pouring in from the ceiling. We shall be squashed.' Katie wiped her face clean and said, "'They have started with an artillery of paperwork. We must meet them now and strike a deal before it's too late.' The king, holding the queen's hand tight and nervously, said, "'Katie, I still don't know my potential. I'm scared.' Your potential is fulfilled by a purpose. You get a purpose by being of use. You can only be of use by contributing to something else. You so far have only contributed to yourself and those under this roof. To know your potential would be to contribute to others outside of this palace. The king thought and said, I'm to leave this palace and face what's outside. I guess leaving your comfort zone, a.k.a. the palace, is a start. Then what? It's your potential. You've got to discover it. Look, this is what I recommend. Meet the chairman and chat to him. He's a reasonable bloke. I'll come with you, but you'll have to talk to him yourself. I also suggest you look like and act like a strong king. After all, first impressions do count. I am not strong. I will look weak and unreliable. If I am to have a payment plan to repay the debt, they'll want to see proof that I'm strong and true to my word. Captain Cash came rushing back and cried, "'The tiger! It's run out of food and it's hungry!' "'Perfect,' said Katie. She continued, "'Take the tiger outside with you and let it catch some fish. Then with the tiger in hand, walk up to the army. Any king who can tame a hungry tiger must be brave and powerful. Then you can request a meeting with the chairman.' The king didn't like the idea. He was scared stiff of the tiger, but Captain Cash said he had no choice because the tiger was locked in with them and it would soon eat everybody. Katie said to the king, What a great way to learn confidence, taming a hungry tiger with nothing other than your meaty self. With the help of the tiger's feeders, the king learnt how to approach and lead the tiger. He had to show no fear and couldn't stroke the tiger, but must firmly pat him. Katie, the king and the hungry tiger left the palace together. The army of bureaucrats looked very uneasy when they saw the tiger. Some dropped their umbrellas. The king unleashed the tiger to fish in the moat while he went for a private meeting with the chairman. The bureaucrats were angry but showed admiration of their king by respectively lowering their umbrellas and lancing pencils. After a lengthy discussion, the king returned to Katie, who was resting by the moat with a well-fed tiger. He announced with an exceptional, unprecedented loud voice, Come, bureaucrats, be our guests. Tonight we shall all party together. In droves, the palace filled with bureaucrats. The bureaucrats were stiff and did not look at home within their new surroundings. The king told Katie that they had come to an arrangement. To repay the debt, the palace was open to the public and allow the people of the land of work to enjoy it too. The workers were in desperate need of a place to relax and escape from their tiring routine, the deal would be finalised if the night was a success. The king said, We must prove we can be hosts to the workers from the land of work. Katie looked at the crowd and said, Right, we have our work cut out. This lot look like they haven't partied since graduating from university. The chairman, who was standing next to the king, said, Yes, that's correct, Katie. Since starting work, they've had nowhere to party. And that's not cool, is it? The party was busy, but lacking energy. Katie diligently worked the crowd. She realised there was too much to do, so she enlisted help from volunteers. 
The DJ played Take Me Out by Franz Ferdinand, and she managed to get some super stiff-suited bureaucrats to the dance floor. But she noticed many had gone to the bar and were whopping shots of amber nectar down their throats. There's too many party rookies here, she thought. They're like a swarm of nerdy, overprotected college freshers. A bead of sweat trickled from her brow and dropped onto the flashing dance floor. It was tiring work. In each hand, she held two bureaucrats' clammy palms. To encourage them to dance, she waved her arms up and down. I Got a Feeling by Black Eyed Peas played. Katie saw this as her chance to create a couple of circles of awkward bureaucrats. She danced in the middle of a circle and jumped up and down and shook her hips to appear that she was having fun. She thought getting this party started was like trying to start a fire with two twigs and a pile of wet leaves. A bureaucrat broke free from the circle and bravely stepped into the middle with Katie. He waved his untied tie around his head and shouted, Yeah! Yeah! Finally, thought Katie, a spark. But his motivation was not to dance, but to put his clammy paws on her. Preeming this, she performed a crafty sidestep, which looked like a dance move and slipped away. The bureaucrat continued to nervously swing his tie around his head. She left the dance floor for a break, but it was short-lived as Captain Cash rapidly tapped her on the shoulder. Captain, asked Katie. Katie, it's terrible. The male and the female bureaucrats by the bar are drunk and some have passed out. Some are even causing fights and we don't have any security to stop them. Many bureaucrats are leaving to take up arms against the palace. They think this place is a waste of time. The chairman appeared next to them. Nostalgically, he looked down at the dance floor and leaned on the dividing rails. He said, It's a shame. I really wanted this place to work. It's important in this business not to get sentimental. I have fond memories of this palace. But I guess all things must come to an end. This palace needs to close. It's no longer needed. Katie said, Look, sir, it's not the palace that's failed. It's your repressed, overworked bureaucrats who have completely forgotten how to enjoy themselves. They are emotionally stunted, and I assume you are secretly very depressed and very lonely. If they don't change, your land of work will eventually grind to a halt. Why? Because they will be burnt out and sick of their own lives. This palace can't fix them alone. You've got to be more creative than that. People need more than just work and partying to look forward to. Life is a complex, beautiful tapestry with infinite threads. Happiness and fulfilment has to be worked for, and everyone's final picture is different. To close the palace would be a step closer to ultimate failure. The chairman smiled endearingly and said, Tonight, a result is still needed. What's your solution to this? With frustration, she said, Tonight can only work with a team to match the massive effort required to put it right. I need my team. And we need you, said a voice from behind her. Katie turned around to see Lynx standing tall with disco lights flashing from his big white smile. Lynx! Katie grabbed and hugged him tight. Laughing and hugging back, he said, Who put Disco Dave on the decks? Awful mixes with volume fade in and outs. Great way to kill a party. The DJ lowered the volume and said, Any requests? Lynx covered his face and said, Oh my, it gets worse. I need to fix this. Lynx, where is everyone? Did they all safely escape? Are Jane, Alec and the others okay? Is Wraith okay? Lynx said, Escape? We didn't escape. Katie gasped. 
he continued. We kicked their ass, and he made it in time for your leaving party. And he pointed to the bar. Alec was propped up by the wooden table with a pint of water. Jane buzzed around, politely removing shots of nectar from wobbly bureaucrats, and Wraith was frog-marching two feuding bureaucrats to the door. The others were huddled in a group, shocked at what they saw. Katie smiled and said, Let's get to work and get this party started. Lynx soon had the crowd captured in his mixes. Some of the bureaucrats ripped their trousers from excessive wild dancing. They couldn't get enough of Lynx's tune selection. A space cleared on the dance floor and everybody started clapping. Lynx announced, Keeping in line with the 80s vibe, here's a number that'll get you spinning on your backs. He played The Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel by Grandmaster Flash. A large circle covering the whole dance floor was formed, but no one was stepping into it. Nervous tension started to build and Katie looked around for anyone to start the dancing off. Alec put his hand up to Katie and said, I've got this, and he confidently entered the circle and danced, shaking his hips. The moves looked out of place. People began to laugh and point at him, and Alec's confidence began to nosedive. Katie hated seeing Alec being treated badly, and she began to make her way into the circle to dance with him. She was tugged back by Flash, who said, Yo, no offence, but you ain't gonna help things. Watch me light this up. I got Miomi's back. And he strutted into the circle, breakdancing style, and started to twist and move his body like he was a gyroscope. The crowd went wild with excitement. He dropped to the floor on his back and spun in super fast rotations. So fast, his form became a blur. The crowd was now electric. When he stood up, the crowd whistled and clapped. Alec saw his chance to copy Flash, but Flash protectively put his arm around him and said, Yo, bro, not yet. I'll teach you. It takes time. Ajax stood in the VIP balcony chatting away. He mingled around large crowds, talking loud cockney and giving people playful nicknames. Oi, trousers, let's see if you can beat me at a downing competition, said Ajax, high up above the two bars in VIP. The man was nicknamed Trousers because he was wearing tight, bright blue velvet trousers. Trousers eagerly came over to him. He held a pint of beer and said, Sir, I am ready. No, not beer. I'm working. Water, and not a pint glass. That's boring. Ajax scouted his socially crafted room and spotted a tall, wafer-thin bureaucrat standing with a smaller one. Oi, I tower. Get over here, you scoundrel. The tall bureaucrat looked aghast, but was diffused by Ajax, who said, Come on, don't pretend to be serious. You can't in here. The tall bureaucrat walked over with the small bureaucrat in tow. He said to Ajax, Well, how may I help? Thanks for offering. And he jumped up and took his hat. Who wears a hat indoors? I do, sir, and hand it back. Sorry, how rude of me. And he gave it back and he said, Let me start again. Good, sir, please may I use your hat to play a mild, horrible drinking game. The small bureaucrat said, Don't let him, rude man. The tallest bureaucrat thought for a moment and said, Only if I can play, I fancy my chances. The crowd cheered and Ajax said, Whoa, hey, he's in. Jane and Prima flew around the ballroom offering free non-alcoholic berry drinks who gave a shot of healthy energy. They were so good at selling it, they flew non-stop taking orders, which meant the bar was taking lots of trade. The night's energy had transformed. 
the atmosphere was positive and happy. There were no negative vibes or hostility and everyone was committed to enjoying themselves. Katie looked down onto the dance floor and saw people dancing, smiling and embracing one another. Everyone in the room were all on the same emotional level, happiness. The chairman walked over to Katie and said, You've successfully demonstrated this palace can contribute. We shall work out a payment plan and keep it open for the public to enjoy. Well done. Katie replied, It was my team that did it. It always is. If you didn't have to return to Earth, I'd ask you to join my team. Playful confidence, she said. I'm not sure you could afford me. He smiled and shook her hands and said, Right, time to put the king out of his misery and let him know the plan. And the chairman walked a few steps to the king, who'd been trailing him all night. The music had subtly drawn to a silence and the lights dimmed, Link said over the sound system. I'm proud to announce the real stars of tonight. The spotlights crossed and centred on the main stage. The king and queen were back on their thrones. Holding hands, Jane and Prima fluttered into the spotlight. Sharing a microphone, they sang Think Twice by Celine Dion. The dance floor cleared and the men and women stood on opposite sides. The bureaucrats had clearly never danced with each other in a couple format. Link said, It kills me to say this, but in true Disco Dave style, everybody take your lover's hands and have a final dance of the night. Wraith walked up to Katie, who looked shy. The song brought back memories of a school disco where she was left out. Her mother, who was a school volunteer, noticed the other girls sniggering at her, so she danced with her instead. Katie loved that dance. Wraith said, Katie, your timer is shimmering again. They both stared into the glass. A hospital room appeared and it was filled with doctors. Katie's father was aggressively shouting, No! No! She's still alive! His beard was thick and the flowers on the table were withered. The doctors were trying to reason with him. The eldest doctor in the room, who must have been close to retirement, said, Mr Peruzzi, you must listen to us. We've tried many times to explain to you. Shutting us out won't change Katie's situation. Her brain is no longer functioning. We must discontinue her life support and you must accept and begin your grievance process. There was a silence and a single tear rolled down his cheek and he asked, Once it's turned off, how long will she live? Her body may last twenty to forty minutes. Okay, I want to be with her until the end. Of course, Mr Peruzzi. The image disappeared and Wraith was horrified. Katie, go through the door now. She passively looked towards the large, thick wooden door. It was closed shut. Come on, Katie, let's get moving. He grabbed her hand. I need to say goodbye to my friends. No time, and he tugged Katie through the party, revelling bureaucrats. Standing at the door, Wraith said, Pull it open. Katie looked around the room and said, The party hasn't finished yet. Katie, pull it now, or it'll be you who's finished. Sussily, Katie pulled the door. It did not open. Harder, Katie! Harder! bellowed Wraith. Katie tried again with more effort, but still the door remained closed. Wraith was confused and very worried, but Katie wasn't, and she said, Wraith, let's dance. Katie, how could you want to do that? Your life is at stake. You must keep trying the door. Do you want that dance or not? No! Fine, see ya.
and she waltzed down the nearest steps to the dance floor. She grabbed Alec, who was resting up against the wall, and they danced. From above, Wraith studied her. He knew what she was up to. He decided to make a trip to the palace's dressing room. Katie slow danced with Alec. He felt a little uncomfortable. She said, You're a great friend, Alec. From the beginning you've been here for me, and you don't mind dancing with me, unlike Wraith. They continued dancing, and Katie continued to complain about Wraith, but was interrupted by Alec, who said, I'm sorry, Katie. I know this is going to sound rude, but the festival queen is back, and she's looking at me. I can't blow it this time. Katie saw over Alec's shoulder the queen had returned, and she was shyly trying to catch his attention. She said, Of course, honey. She must really like you. Alec kissed Katie's hand and marched up to the queen confidently. He showed her plenty of admiration, because like a stormy sea, his feelings had grown wild for her. Katie continued to dance on her own. She thought, Maybe I am always meant to be on my own. The music mixed. Katie couldn't guess the next song but she liked its natural blend. The dance floor cleared and she felt very alone. She looked up from the dance floor to see everyone was staring back down at her. Several of the palace's footmen rushed onto the dance floor, holding large sheets. They shielded Katie, whilst four female dress fitters dressed her in a fitted white silk dress. Once they removed the sheets, the crowd clapped and whistled in approval. Katie had no idea what was happening. Lynx was still mixing the music. The lights dimmed and the spotlights centred on the VIP area and the top of its stairs. Wraith stepped into the light. He had changed from his martial arts tunic to a black tuxedo. Keeping his eyes on Katie, he walked down the stairs towards the dance floor. The final mix was made by Lynx and it was Drops of Jupiter by Train. Katie's heart fluttered. That was her mother's favourite song. Wraith reached Katie in the middle of the empty dance floor he extended both hands for Katie to take. She did, and the crowd applauded. She looked into Wraith's blue eyes and humorously said, You've even done your hair. It's washed and even conditioned. And you're actually wearing a dress. It suits you. Katie smiled and said, How did you know I like this song? Because when you're not snoring in your sleep, you whisper the words to this. It took me ages to write them down. Katie blushed a little and said, why is this the first time you've danced with me? There's been no need before. I had a job to do. Why now? And why don't you fancy me? Because the quest is over, and that's irrelevant. And why are you dancing with me? Because I care for you. That wasn't just about saving the palace. It was about you. I want you to live, Katie. Why, if you don't fancy me? Not everything is about attraction. I think you're cool, you're my friend, my first real friend, and I love you. Katie leaned away in his arms, taken aback, and said, You love me? No guy has ever said that, and really meant it. In what way? In a way which is true. I don't mean to be rude, but you could never be my wife. We're just too different. I like peaceful life, wrestling polar bears. I'm not cut out for your adventures. Katie laughed and said, you mean you honestly love me for who I am and don't want anything from me, just friendship? Yes, that's right. I think that's the best thing I've heard. I've never had anyone other than my family value me like that before. I'm really touched. If you keep on giving, Katie, you will meet more who feel the same. 
You need to return back to Earth and infect others with your amazing self. Don't deny others of the privilege of meeting such a wonderful person such as yourself. You've seen your potential now. Go and fulfil it. To not go back would be a very selfish act indeed. I can't go back. The door won't open. You've always been able to open it. You've been choosing not to. Have faith in who you have become. We've all seen what you can do. Now go and show us. I love you. We all do. Don't sentence me for a life of grief over your loss. Don't let your dad be hurt again. Go and be the woman which we've all seen here. Go and show Earth what you're made of. You're right, Wraith. I've never wanted to go back. I love it here. This is all I want. Here for you is escapism. Live here for too long and you die. Any human who gets their balance wrong in life regrets it. On Earth you escaped for too long. It's time to confront and grow. You're bigger than any of your problems. You're not like a planet which is led by the gravitational pull of others. You're like a star with its own light source. Go and shine, Katie. Raising a clinched fist. Katie smiled and fist bumped his fist and said, OK, I will. And she winked and said, By the way, I love you too. In a mate way, of course. Her legs gave way and Wraith caught her. He said, Quick, there's no time. Your body is growing weak. The timer has run out. Lynx, Alec and the others rushed to the dance floor and helped to carry her to the door. She managed to stand by herself and with a weak tug of the door, it popped open. It didn't take much when her will wanted it. She peered down the stairwell and heard the chaotic sound of the hospital room and her dad's voice echoing back up. She turned to her friends and they all waved goodbye and Link said, Quick, close the door, she might come back. Through the shut door she heard everyone say, We love you, Katie. She giggled to herself and shouted, Love you all too. Her eyelids struggled open, her vision was blurry and she heard her dad's musical Italian voice say, Oh my, it's a miracle, Katie! Katie saw her dad in the flesh, staring back over her, parting her dry lips. She said slowly, I scored a try, Dad. Went back in the game.